Hi everybody, JP here with a quick disclaimer for this week's episode. As Dr. Wang states during the conversation, this was recorded in person uh, well before the shutdowns and travel restrictions we currently face here in the U.S. Uh, this was a conversation between Dr. Wang and Dr. Mark Shaffrey, chairman at UVA, that they held at this year's spine section meeting in Las Vegas, which unfortunately I was not able to attend. I would like to say, however, that like so many episodes in this series, this is another fine example of an excellent leader in neurosurgery sharing advice that not all applicants get to hear each year when they're on the trail because only so many folks get to interview at UVA. I remember at the end of my sub-eye there a couple years ago when I was on the trail, uh, Dr. Shaffrey sat down with me and all of the other sub-eyes and gave us excellent thorough advice, both general and personal, about our own process for the match. And much of that general advice he fortunately shares in today's episode for you listening. So I'd like to extend a thank you to Dr. Shaffrey again for the advice he gave me at the time, which aided me greatly on the interview trail, and for sharing his experience with all of you listening today for the show. Uh, with that, let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the Nursery Podcast. I'm Mike Wang, and I'm here with my co-host, J.P. Colson. We are here to discuss all things neurosurgical. Hi, this is J.P. Colson, a resident in neurosurgery at Rush University. Please note that this is not a CME event, and the opinions and statements made in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution or professional organization. Now, let's get started. So today on the Nursery Podcast, again, uh, John Paul is working hard in Chicago, and I'm here at the Spine Section meeting in Las Vegas, and I'm honored to be here uh, today with Mark Shaffrey. Mark is the uh, chair of neurosurgery at the University of Virginia, UVA, one of the most storied and historic and iconic neurosurgery programs in this country uh, for a lot of reasons. And uh, Mark is also the brother of Chris Shaffrey, who's the AANS president. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Great. Mark, we could talk about just about anything with you, um, but what we wanted to focus on today was about rank lists for residency matching programs. So a lot of our listeners are young, they're in medical school, they're residents, uh, they're in college, and this matching process, first just walk us through what the match really is, because I think some people don't know what the match really is. So the match is an algorithm where uh, there is an attempt to match uh, applicants uh, to the best possible program. I think if you want to get some background on the actual uh, rank, order, uh, list, and match, the NRMP has some really good short videos that actually explain the process of creating a, a rank list. And there's a short one on the matching algorithm, which is based on actually a, a Nobel Prize uh, winning algorithm uh, from a guy named Alvin Roth, who, who uh, won the Nobel Prize in economics in 2012. So this algorithm is actually, um, it's very ap applicant favorable. So really the applicant uh, has control of the match. So their rank order list is what is taken as the priority and then they try to 
place those uh, priorities into the uh, program rank order list. So one of the things to remember is that this is an applicant favorable process. And so there are a hundred some odd nursery programs. They have so many spots. So each program like UVA and you or your program director or your faculty will put together a rank list, meaning number one choice is this, number two choice is that guy. And then the applicants will make their own list saying UVA is number one or number two or number three and so on and so forth, right? That's correct, except for it goes the other direction really. The applicants will will create their rank order list and they'll submit that, lock that in, verify that. The programs will uh, create their rank order list, but remember it always goes to the applicant first. So wherever they rank number one, they are put in that program's rank order list as long as they are listed. And then it's only if other applicants who rank them higher will they drop down the list. So it, it goes very sequentially, but it's very applicant driven. And so one of the things that applicants have to remember is that there is no penalty for having a long program rank order list. So if you make a rank order list and it's 20, those are the freebies. You get to rank 20 programs. If you pay a little extra money, you can rank 20 more up to 100 programs, and that does not affect the programs that you rank higher. So if you have a longer rank order list, it, it affects, uh, it does not affect your chances uh, in your higher, higher uh, uh, programs in your rank order list. So it's really important to remember that the applicants really control this process. So I, I, I matched in 1996, and I remember there were two people who were super high in the interview trail. They could have matched anywhere, but they made very short rank lists based on a lot of conversations, like two or three programs, and they didn't match. And these people eventually got a spot because they were superstars, but it was really scary for a while. And, and there's a whole thing with a scramble and couples match. But let me just, for the, for the younger listeners, this is something foreign because remember, this is a blind process. I mean, you can talk about it all you want, but you don't really know what's going on. And so for the first time maybe in your life, what happens is you're assigned a spot. So it's not like, you know, when you apply to college, you apply to 50 places, you got into 20, you pick which one you want to go to. This is different. The computer spits out. The marriage, right? You get these two people, these two people get you, right? That's how it works, right? Basically. That, that, that's correct. That's, that's how it works. But remember that uh, as far as, uh, you know, creating a, a rank order list, you should really do it in, in the way you truly would like to attend okay. a program. So let's get into that. So, let's get into, if, yeah. if you're the applicant now, you're gonna make your list for, let's say, neurosurgery, it could be any specialty, but neurosurgery programs. What are, how would you make the list? Like, you're an applicant today. So, first of all, you have to think about what information is important to you. And a lot of people feel that it's really important to make notes as you go along. It's a long interview season, and you wind up going to, you know, somewhere between, you know, 10 and 20 interviews, some people 25. It's really a quite crazy, big and, expense, and each big place, time commitment. Each place you're having 10 interviews. So you're having 100 interviews or 200 interviews. You're going to 10 or 20 locations, right? That's Centers. correct. Yeah, okay. So, and, I, you know, you have to kind of think about ahead of time what is really important to you. There's only so much 
quantitative information out there, a lot of what you're going to do uh, to make your decision is going to be very qualitative. Quantitative information, you can go to um, programs' websites, you can look up graduates, you can see where they go to fellowships, you can look at their surgery numbers. So those are very quantitative. But most people, I think, would say that it's really more of a qualitative um, uh, you know, uh, set of, I would say, um, um, feelings when you visit a program that are much more important when, you've, uh, when you make your rank order list. Uh, most importantly, both for the program and for the individual is fit. Do you feel comfortable there? Uh, if you look at those qualitative aspects, you know, if we go beyond, let's say, um, you know, am I going to get enough case volume and am I going to have some academic opportunities, you really describe every program. So you can go virtually any program and you are going to learn to be a good clinical neurosurgeon. Yeah, there's no bad programs in neurosurgery. There's unlike, no bad programs unlike in general neurosurgery. Surgery. There's some, I think there's some bad programs in general surgery and the medicine and all that, but not in neurosurgery. Neurosurgery, you will learn to be a good, uh, a good neurosurgeon in, in virtually every program. You know, situations can change, but, you know, generally people, once they start interviewing, take that off off the top of the list. And then we come back to fit. And every year as I'm interviewing applicants, we ask these questions like, you know, if you could build your own program where you would be successful, what would you actually, uh, how would you actually build it? And people start to think about that and they say, well, I would wanna have a good relationship with my mentors and my fellow residents. And when you look at, at that as the next step, you really are looking at fit. If you look at the interview process, it's really a mutual compatibility exercise. You're looking for a program where you fit well and the program feels that you're the best fit. Seven years is, is an extremely long period of time in your life. For most young people, it's you know a quarter of their life. And it's longer than the average American marriage. That's exactly right. And so this, uh, you wanna be happy. And although people don't want to say, you know, being close to family, location, you know, some of the, you know, aspects of the program where, you know, do the residents seem happy? Do they get along? You know, those things really wind up making what I would call a gut feeling about a program. And I think it would, you know, behoove an applicant as they go along to just jot some things down about those things that they think are most important about a program. Because when you start interviewing in October and you're finishing in February, that's a long time. And the programs where you interview early are gonna be fading a little bit. The ones you uh, interview at later are gonna stay you know, relatively fresh in your mind. So you wanna make sure you know, you're jotting things down. It, it doesn't really, uh, you know, most people, uh, because there's so much of a qualitative aspect, if they try to, to do this in a quantitative way and make spreadsheets and rank different factors, I think it gets a little bit overly complicated. So, Mark, what kind of criteria have you found with all these medical students and residents that 
probably people should put on a low priority. In other words, we can think of all the high priority stuff, right? Like geography, reputation, experience, but what, what are some things that get brought in? Because every program's putting their best foot forward. Every program's selling you on how great it is at their place, right? What are things that you're like, ah, you know, I think that should be really low on a priority list for most people? Well, I think it goes back to when you make your rank list, your rank order list, you want to make it for the program you, you like the best, that um, you where you fit the best, and go down from there. Don't make the list for where you think you are most likely to rank, uh, uh, be ranked highly, because that is you know not the way this works. You want to go to the program where you like the best, and if it is a reach program, you know where you'd say, well, I know who's who's there, and maybe my step one scores are that are aren't up to that, or you know I I, I made a B on a clinical rotation in, in in neurology, and I'm worried about that. You know, don't worry about that. Think about your experience at the program and how much you would like to train there. But, but that's human nature because it's like dating. Like, like nobody wants to have in the back of their mind for the next 50 years, okay, I mash up my 30-second choice place because, you know, we all have big egos, right? And you're like, wow, that's how I ended up? I mean, it, is, it, it does matter when a program, let's say a, one that was low on your list, calls you and says, hey, we really like you, right? And, and you naturally want to rank them higher, right? Isn't that human nature? That's human nature, but I would, I would recommend that as much as you can, that you try to keep that in check. Because remember, it's where you think you're gonna get the best training and you're gonna fit the best. And you have to think on the other side, maybe that program is calling you because, you know, that they're a little bit concerned about, you know, who they might get in, in, in their, uh, you know, after uh, the match and they're trying to influence the match. So even though I think those calls and those emails are a factor, I wouldn't make them the number one factor. I wouldn't say that you should automatically rank a program higher because they reached out in an additional email after a thank you email or you know, uh, a resident or a faculty member called you later. I say you take that into, into account, you know, keep your rank order list you know, and make minor adjustments. Don't bump somebody up, you know, 10 spots so because you got a phone call. I wish I, wish I followed your advice. I mean, that, it didn't end up impacting me specifically, but there was a program and this whole thing about Christmas parties, right? The Christmas invitation party, they only invite, some programs will invite two people to their Christmas party uh, right before, you know, after the interviews are pretty much done. And I was invited along with another very famous son of a very famous neurosurgeon who's now himself very famous. And we went to the Christmas party and we talked and we stayed with the, re the chief residents. We stayed at their houses. And, and I ended up ranking that program super high, like in the top three. Now, if I had not matched at USC, I very well might have matched there. And I did that only because, and not, it was a great program, by the way, because they had invited me to their Christmas party. And I knew that this was like the, this was the sign, right? This was the message they're delivering that they're gonna rank me in the top two. And I was like, wow, you know, I, I, I should rank them in the top two or three. That, and that really went, and I actually did it. I put, I fretted on it and I did it. Yeah. And, and it's a game, it's a yeah. psychological game, right? I, I think it's one of those things that, you know, people are always wrestling 
with, you know, how much love from a program should elicit love from me. And I think, you know, you got to keep that in perspective. I think you need to go back, you know, at the end of the day and say, how did I feel? You know, I'm a qualified applicant. Generally, when you interview at a program, they are telling you you have the capability to match there. You know, they've already done their homework. They've looked at those few qualitative, uh, the quantitative things. And, you know, now, you know, it, you know, and it's just spitballing. I, I would say our program is probably 25% quantitative, 75% qualitative. We want to know, you know, how you do in your interview. Can you communicate with, with people? Do you have humanistic qualities? Would you be a good fit, you know, um, uh, for the program in general, you know, fit in well with the other residents? You know, when we go to a social event, you know, do you interact easily with other people? It's, it's a little bit strange. I don't think applicants under, understand how important those, those aspects are. And so I think, you know, those are the, the things like uh, when people think it's just a paper, uh, paper count, class rank, and your step one score, I think people sell the process, the interview process short. So I'll, I'll, let me maybe kind of answer my own question to get a little deeper on this. So let's talk about Spine Fellowship, for example, which is a different process, by the way, applying for fellowship. There are rank, uh, I'm sorry, there are matching programs, and there are non-matching programs. And one of the things I've run into is that I, you know, we run a big fellowship in Miami, and I actually sense that a lot of people pick their fellowship to some degree or influence by their salary. Because the fellowship salary band can range from ours, which is low, like 60, 70,000, up to 300,000. And so people will say, well, I, you know, I'd rather make $150,000 this year than, than $60,000. That's a natural inclination. My pushback is if someone's having to pay you that much money to get you to do a fellowship, there's something about that fellowship maybe that needs to be considered you know, in a free market, right? And I'm not saying that it's necessarily that way. But I, I would tell people if they're applying for spine fellowship, the salary, and I'm biased because we pay less, should be the least important thing about making a decision on your education. But what are, what are other things that people are yeah. in the forefront of their mind? They're like, you know, maybe you really shouldn't emphasize so much that, like geography or weather or something yeah. like that. Well, you know, Spine Fellowship is different because in general it's a one-year fellowship. And I would say, you know, try to, trying to focus, you know, on some of the differences between uh, uh, a residency rank order list uh, for the match and for a Spine Fellowship. You have to remember that when you are going for training for seven years, you really are ranking the program. If you say, I wanna be the best vascular surgeon in the world, so I wanna to go to program X, that person may not be there in three years. You have to really make sure that the program is what you're ranking and not the individual. In Spine Fellowship, the difference is, is that you're going specifically uh, in general to work with one or two people where you expect to receive a higher level of training. And clearly, for one year, that should be your priority. It shouldn't be, you know, all these other factors, which I hear all the time too, which is how much am I going to get paid? Do I have to take call? Do I have to write notes? Do the residents take care of the patients and I just come in later and, you know, and do the operations? I mean, it's not the type of thing, you know, you really want to, to use to rank a fellowship. You really want to make sure that it's the one-year experience, that that extra level of experience to, to diagnose, treat, 
complex spinal procedure and then being able to handle complications because I think you know that's what that focus is and I think it's really a different process but I agree with you I mean if if you're kind of shopping around um, you know looking for making the most money you know some people will say well do I have the opportunity to be an instructor you know can I do extra call can I can I bill can I get a bonus I think those should be uh, pressed down. If you can get a great fellowship and that's a, you know, a third or fourth priority, that's, that's fine with me, but I, it shouldn't be number one. Yeah, so, so you, you mentioned, and I want to get back to this, because um, there was a website set up a long time ago by a guy named Kenny Liu. Kenny was a USC medical student when I was a resident. It was Uncle Harvey, and that became the first blog site. And there's a, we could talk all day about these blogs, about residency programs and all that. We're trying to dispel myths here and just talk about realities on the podcast. But there is this thing about, okay, yeah, um, the chairman is a certain age, like who's going to succeed and it's probably going to happen while I'm there for seven years. Like, do you think that people should be thinking about things like that? Is this person still yeah. going to be there if I match there? Yeah. You know, so, you know, I, I think, first of all, you know, to answer that question, I would say, think about where you're going to get your information from. We talked at the beginning about, you know, you can go to the website, you, you go through your interviews, you talk to faculty, you talk to residents. But by and large, you know, especially people uh, these days, uh, younger folks, they're going to network. And so when they network, you know, that can be on social media. When they network, really the, their most powerful way of networking is out on the interview trail. Because each week they're seeing, you know, another 10, 15 or 20 new people. They're running into people who did their sub eyes at the program where you just you know, interviewed, and they're talking about those things continuously. What I would say is, you know, make sure that you do not use uh, an anonymous message board as a primary <laughs> data mechanism, because a lot of people have ulterior motives, they want to yeah. sow chaos. It's a tense time when you're going into the match, because honestly, this is the last time there will be any type of um, chance in the job you're going to get. When you think about it, as you said, you know, college, you're still not sure you're going to get into every place you apply. Medical school, the same way. But match, you really don't know if you're going to get, you know, your first choice or your fifth choice. But I would say, check the ego, rank them as you want, and be happy because you're not going to get a bad yeah, you are not going to, if you match, you are not going to a bad program where you're not going to learn to be a good neurosurgeon. Don't curtail your list. The only thing I would say, if there is truly a program where you don't think you would be happy for seven years, that should be the reason to leave that off your rank list. But make sure you have your reach programs, those programs where you feel solid, and those programs where you say, you know what? I really feel like I could match there and put those plenty of programs in those three tiers as long as you feel you can be happy there for seven years. What, what percentage of people are not matching in the current day now? For U.S. applicants, it's, it's a fairly low number. It you know, it, it, it's it used like, to be 50%. Yeah, now it's like, you know, 15%. Okay. You know, so that's another thing. But remember, you know, you brought up that instance of, of someone you, you knew who was a great applicant who didn't match. Every year, 
there's one or two folks who are, you know, AOA, you know, high step scores, you know, publications that don't match. And I would tell you that is a problem with rank order list construction. Don't, don't be afraid to make a long list. If you need to pay a little extra money to, to double the length of the list, do it as long as you feel that you would be happy at those programs. And Mark, just give us 30 seconds on the scramble because we're coming into the season now, right? Like the scramble is a big deal. The scramble for those unmatched people. Have you ever dealt with that? We have not, although we've had students uh, on a rare occasion from uh, from UVA who didn't match and had to scramble. Yeah, you always match your residents, but yeah. and for, for those listening, what the scramble means is that on match day, and neurosurgery used to be early match, and now it's regular match, and I, I don't really like that. I thought early match was made us more competitive and sort of signaled to the world that we are more uh, special, like ophthalmology and ENT and neurology. But but the scramble, and by the way, dermatology has the late match, which is penalizing you if you, because, you know, everybody would apply to derm and see if I can get in. But now late match means if you don't match, you, you lost a year of your life. So derm threw down that way. And we used to be part of early match, but for financial reasons, neurosurgery small, we moved to the main match. And on that day, when the, everything gets announced across the country, it's a big deal now. Some people don't match, and then there's a scramble. And what that means is the open spots in the country and the open applicants, those who didn't match, try to get paired up ad hoc without the computer, right? So now people are getting on the phone, chairman, deans, you know, deans of students, trying to get people spots. Right. Do you, do you, so you've been on the phone with other folks, right? Like, hey, do you have a spot open for this guy or stuff like yeah. that, right? I, I've been, I've been, I've, I've done that on occasions, but more often I, I get the phone calls from people who interviewed at our program who didn't match and ask, ask for my help. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think it's just one of those things that, you know, you have to, you know, if you didn't match, you know, show determination. If this is what you want to do, go through the scramble and and you have, a you know, uh, uh, some some chance uh, of being placed uh, during the scramble. A lot of times you know, the match will fill the first time through. And then you're, you're going to have to make that decision as to whether you're going to reapply next year. What I would say in those instances is work with your mentors, you know, those people who give you guidance, uh, be very reflective on what you did that year. You know, where, where, you know, if you have good uh, quantitative and qualitative factors, try to think about reflectively, you know, where, what you could do better. You know, a lot of people will say, you know, do, do I need, you know, for instance, more research focus? Can I practice on my interview techniques? And one of the things we've offered when people haven't matched is I'll have them fly into town and I'll do mock interviews uh, with them in order to, you know, try to prepare them better. Because I, I, I think, you know, that's one of the things you have to remember. If you think you're a qualified applicant and your mentors, your advisors tell you that you are, try to think about what you can do better for the next year. Hopefully, you know, you're still dedicated uh, to the idea of becoming a neurosurgeon. And I say, if you are, you know, come back the next year and there's a good chance you could match the second year. Great, great. So for those out there who are going to the match this year, feel free to email us at neurosurgery 
podcast at gmail.com. Tell us about your experience. Tell us about where you match. Tell us about any concerns you have. Maybe we'll reach out to Mark Shaffrey for you. Maybe you can fly out to Charlottesville and, and, and they can prep you a little bit better for the following year. But good luck to everybody out there. And Mark, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it.